So uh, I'm still here. Uh, first thing this morning, someone said, I thought you were gone. Nope, not yet. I'm um, still here. Um, and we are continuing today as we will uh, throughout the whole summer as we're going through the book of Luke, uh, also known as the, the Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Luke, the book of Luke, it's the work of Luke, uh, who was a doctor as he records the details about Jesus' life. And today we're going to talk about uh, the parable of the persistent widow. That's in Luke chapter 18. It's, it's called the parable of the persistent widow, but in reality, it's just a story about us. It's, all the parables are really a story about us. And so just so we're all on the same page, uh, a parable is this. A parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. And then there's, there's hundreds of different ways that people define what a parable is, but the I think we could all get this one. A parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. Now, throughout all four Gospels or books that we have about Jesus' life and ministry, we have a total of 36 different parables that he told. And before we even dive into this parable, I want to talk about what it means to us that Jesus would even teach us in parables. Because first and foremost, it tells us that Jesus wanted to give us a chance to understand these deeply spiritual concepts. That's why he, he taught 36 different parables. You can think of parables as almost extended uh, analogies that allowed pretty simple folks like you and I to understand the lessons and the wisdom of Jesus. Uh, parables that they're quite literally God reaching down and giving us lessons and wisdoms that, that we can understand and immediately apply to our lives. The fact that Jesus would even do that is truly amazing. Because if anyone shouldn't have to dumb things down for people, it would be the perfect son of God, the savior of the world. It would be so easy for him to say, can you get on my level? But instead, time and time again in scripture, he says, no, I'm going to get on your level so you understand these deeply spiritual things. And if you want to go and look at all the religious figures in the history of the world, no one else does that for people. Only Jesus. And it's just one of the reasons he is truly amazing. And so today we'll hear a story and learn a lesson from this woman that Jesus calls the persistent widow. And we're going to chop this parable down in a couple of different ways, but it begins this way. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. So one day Jesus tells his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Now, there's been a few times in my life, and likely yours as well, where people were cheering us on. There are people behind us, kind of being the wind in our sails. They're, they're giving us encouragement and strength. They're saying it's some reason of our lives, never give up. And whatever endeavor we are trying to achieve is not nearly as important as what Jesus is encouraging us to do here. Once again, to have a king, to have a savior, to have a Lord, to have Jesus being willing to teach us, how to have constant communication with God. It shows just how much he loves us. He wants to get on our level and show what is best for us. So this is the parable of the persistent widow. That's how it starts. And, and here's that first character in the parable. Jesus tells his disciples, there is a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor cared about people. One paraphrase of scripture puts it this way. There was once a judge in some city who never gave God a thought and cared nothing for people. So that's what we know about this judge kind of on the surface. But, but as we should always do with scripture, let's go a couple layers deeper to, to understand the role that a judge should play in the community. Now, as is still the case today, there is a social and civil responsibility for a judge. It is their responsibility to, to punish wrong. It's their responsibility to bring about justice. Not that we always see that uh, the case today. It's not always achieved in our world, but there shouldn't be corruption at such an authoritative level. 
Everyone should receive a fair and proper treatment no matter what their status is in the community, whether they are a poor widow or whether they're a prominent and wealthy member of that community. Everyone should deserve the, the same treatment. But what was different about judges in Jesus' day and age and in that Jewish community that Jesus is speaking into is that the judge was seen in that community as an extension of God's justice. Okay, we have judges today who may see themselves that, but more than likely, judges in, in our realm of life that we do things in, um, they're there to make sure things are fair. Everybody gets treated the same. But no, no, no. In, in the first century culture, a judge was, was different. Yeah, they, they had to make some decisions for, for this or for that, but, but most importantly, they were seen as an extension of God's judgment. Their decisions were to echo the, the heart and injustice that God has. And here's what the, the book of Deuteronomy, it's an Old Testament book for a Bible. It, it tells us the, the role that, that Moses, the leader of God's people, says that judges should hold in the community, in the religious community. At that time, I instructed the judges, Moses said, you must hear the case of your fellow Israelites and the foreigners living among you. Be perfectly fair in your decisions and impartial in your judgments. Hear the cases of those who are poor as well as those who are rich. Don't be afraid of anyone's anger. For the decision you make is God's decision. That's where they're different than what, how we see judges. Bring me any case that are too difficult for you, Moses says, and I will handle them. So when Jesus begins the parable of the persistent widow by telling us that there was a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor cared about people, we have to understand that in this cultural setting, this judge is completely inept, completely incompetent. His heart has made him completely unqualified for this high role in their community. This judge is not serving the justice that God cared about. And as we will see, this becomes a problem. So Luke continues and says, A widow of that city came to him, so came to the judge, repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. So, so the widow is, is apparently up against something, up against someone maybe. We don't know exactly what. But she comes to this judge knowing the status and responsibility the judge has to be an extension of God's justice. She comes and says, free me from this injustice happening to me. And she should expect him to act. Now, just like there were some details just below the surface of a judge, uh, there is with a widow in the religious community as well. And once again, here's two parts of scripture that share about the widows and how they should be treated in this first century religious community that Jesus is speaking into. Deuteronomy, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is a great God, the mighty and awesome God who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you too, so you too must show love to foreigners. For you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. There's something that will shake up some politics. Uh, later on in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, we see words regarding this. True justice must be given to foreigners living among you and to orphans. And you must never accept a widow's garment as security for her debt, because she may not have any money. Always remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from slavery. This is why I've given you this command. When you are harvesting your crops and forget to bring in a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. When you beat the olives from your olive tree, don't go over the boughs twice. Leave the remaining olives for the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. 
When you gather grapes in your vineyard, don't glean the vines after they are picked. Leave the remaining grapes for the foreigners, the orphans, and widows. So when Jesus begins his story about a crooked judge and a widow who's dealing with injustice, he is speaking into this society, although imperfect, but one that would have been shocked at the details of this scenario. As Jesus explains the story, they'd have been saying, hang on, wait, this doesn't make any sense. Because justice was built into the fabric uh, and the rules of their society, especially for people who are vulnerable, such as a widow. And judges, they were there to ensure that everyone received fair treatment in the community, but especially widows. So Jesus continues on in the parable and says, the judge ignored her, the widow, for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Now, if you're a note taker, get your pen and paper out because the, the first deeply spiritual lesson that we take from this is that it pays to be a pest. Um, kids, listen up. It pays to, to, to be a, a pest. Um, don't write that down. That's not even spiritual. Um, I'll let Jesus actually tell you the lesson of this story, then we'll unpack it a bit more and see how it applies to our lives. Uh, Jesus, Jesus finishes this parable by saying, Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Jesus' point of this parable is that if, if an uncaring, unfit, ungodly judge can find some way to do the right thing, if an uncaring, unfit, ungodly judge can find some way, even though he was pestered to, to act with justice, then how much more will a loving father, a holy God, do what is right in your life? I'm going to say it again. And let this sink in. This is coming from Jesus, the Son of God, and he sets all the rules for this life and all of eternity. And he tells us that if an uncaring, unfit, ungodly judge can find some way to do the right thing, can find some way to bring justice, then how much more will a loving Father, our holy God, do what is right in your life? When we allow the truth of that parable to meet us where we are in the midst of our lives, when we really allow it to sink in and we ponder this lesson Jesus wants us to take from it, I believe it changes a couple of things. I think it changes, one, how we relate to God. If a, if a widow can, 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 can pester a judge, the judge doesn't care about her, the judge doesn't care about God, but the judge will finally do the right thing. And how much more will God do that for us when we take our request to him? I think the first thing is it changes, the story does, how we relate to God. But I think it also changes how we think God relates to us. So I think there's three other lessons we can pull from here. And, and here, here's the first one. The widow had to deal with a crooked judge. She had no choice. That's the community. She had to deal with a crooked judge. You have to understand with the things going on in your life, you get to go to a loving father. She had to deal with a judge, but, but we get to go to a loving father. Right? When you go to God in prayer, you're going to someone who is for you. Absolutely nuts about you. Right, the judge didn't want anything to do with the widow, not even time, not even a little bit of attention. But that's not how God views us. We already know the truth of John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, 
but have eternal life. Think about it this way. If God has already spared his son Jesus to secure your eternity, why would he hold out his goodness? Why would he hold out his love for the things you are dealing with right now? If he was willing to give up and spare his son and let his son come and die for you to secure your eternity in heaven, then why would God withhold any of his goodness and any of his love for the things you're going through in the momentary? Isaiah 54.10, For the mountains may move and the hills disappear, but even then my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. I love the start of that. For the mountains may move and the hills disappear. He's saying there's going to be so much over the course of eternity that changes. But his love, his faithful love for you, it's not going to change. Psalm 86.15, But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Now imagine with me for a moment if some people in our world stop hearing that God is disappointed in them. Because the way they sin is so different than us, imagine if some people who thought God hated them actually started hearing that, no, 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 God is filled with unfailing love and faithfulness for you. I can tell you probably 10 people in my life who don't give a rip about Jesus and church and faith and Christianity and eternal matters because they've been burned by some Christian or someone in the church. And it usually revolves around because they sin differently than we do. And, and we've been real, not we as a church, but over the course of history, we have been real bad at, at telling some people they're going to hell because they sin differently than we do. Um, we're all crooked in, in our own ways, but there's been people who just, all they hear is that God's disappointed in them, God hates them. That's not what put your butts in these seats. That's not what put me in a relationship with Jesus. So imagine if those people stopped hearing these lies that God hates them and has disappointed them. Imagine if we just told them this, that God is compassionate, that God you think is against you, he, sh- he wants to show you mercy, that God that you think hates you because God's people have objectified your sins, He doesn't get as angry like we do. He's slow to get angry, and he's not like us. He's filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Just imagine if the people in our lives who have been burnt by the church knew this about God. It would change everything. It would absolutely change everything. They're they're probably freaking out everywhere because that was not even anything I planned on saying. Um, And I get it. God may not love everything we do, right? He won't. He does not love everything we do. Um, We mess up, we fall short, and and he's not a fan of that, but here's the deal. He's a good father. He still loves us. So that's the first thing. The widow had to deal with a crooked judge. She had to. She had no choice. We, in our pain, in the momentary, we we get to go to a loving father. And then also in that parable, we saw that the widow was initially rejected by the judge. She had to keep going, keep going, keep going. She was rejected by the judge, but when we go, we are accepted by God. Some of us just need to stop trying to earn favor with God. If you've put your faith in Jesus and believe that, that he died on the cross for your sins, then you have to understand that you don't have to earn favor with God. Jesus purchased your favor with God. So when you go to God, it's not like you have to convince him to hear you. It's not like you can go out and live righteously for a week and he's going to go, well, now I'm impressed. You got five minutes. That's not how God works, but that's the, the habits we fall into. And I get it, I've done it too. I thought, man, God's just so disappointed in me. 
I remember when I first started going to counseling a few years ago at True Life Discipleship Counseling, and early on in one of my sessions, the most terrifying thing happened. They, they gave me a, a paper and a pen and said, draw what your relationship with God looks like. Now, in most church circles, people assume that pastors are really artsy. They're like, oh, they can probably sing, they can play instruments, they can draw things. I just talk about Jesus. Um, this is what you get. Um, if you asked me to play a guitar, you'd be like, the spirit has left this building. Um, it would just be embarrassing. Um, so I, I am not artsy. And so they said, draw what your relationship with, with God is like. And this is what, what I sketched out. Um, this is not my three-year-old son's Father's Day drawing to me. This is me at my artistic peak of 29 years old. Um, here's what's happening here. And this is 100% sincere, what I believed about God. Many, a lot of you know I grew up with a rough childhood, um, really had no relationship with my father whatsoever. And, and I know a lot of you have had a lot of pain and hurt from your father. And some of you, that still lingers. And I'm sorry today is going to be a hard day, but you're not alone. Um, and I always thought I could not view God as good because the only authority figure in my life was, was awful to me. And so what I drew was, was God. Uh, I'm sure you, you can understand. No, it's terrible. Um, there's God. He's, he's not swollen like he's eat a bunch of bagels. That's a cloud. Um, and he's up there with a terrible haircut, I might add, um, looking down at me saying, you idiot. And he's angry. He's disappointed in me. And that's me down there. I wore my hat a little like that at 29. He said, that's me flexing, trying to impress God, pretending that I have it all together. Um, what is happening in, in, in that photo, that was genuinely the depths of my heart in struggling to understand a healthy relationship with God. I, I've always thought he was angry in me, with me, disappointed in me. Always thought that I, I had to try and impress him. Um, for most of my spiritual life, I, I felt like that widow who had just nothing going for her. And, and God was that judge that I had to impress enough. I had to pester enough to act on my behalf. I had to be like, God, if I can just impress you, God, then, then maybe you will accept me. That was most of my life. And you may feel the same way at times, but... Anytime we believe something that, that is probably not true, here's a, here's a good barometer. Anytime you believe something negative about yourself, anytime you believe something that just doesn't seem right with how people relate to God, here's what I want you to do. Go to scripture and find out if what you're feeling is true. Because for all the years that I thought God didn't accept me because I wasn't good enough, there is nowhere in scripture that says that's true. Most of the lies that you're believing in your life are not true when you confront it with scripture. But anyhow, here's some, some things that scriptures say about us being accepted by God. It says, listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. He hears you and he accepts you when you put your faith in Christ. He welcomes you regardless of your past. He, he welcomes you even if your current life is a mess. Uh, he welcomes you even like the persistent widow that, that your life may seem to be crashing down all around you and nobody seems to be listening. Romans 8, who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. I'm going to read that again after prefacing with this. When you, what you're going through in the mess of your life, when you're swimming through your pain, when it seems like it's all crashing down, you're not on your own. Jesus is pleading for you. This is truth. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And right now, in the midst of what you're going through, as you take your request to God, Jesus is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for you. 
most of us need to write this down in a way that's legible, which don't have me write it down, obviously, right? And then you need to set it as your phone's wallpaper. So you are constantly remembering that you are not alone. You have a king who is pleading for you. First Peter 2.9, but you are not like that for you are a chosen people. And this is true for you when you put your relationship, put your faith in Jesus and have a relationship with him. You are not like that. You're not like those other unbelievers. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests. This is, we're talking about us, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. So, so the widow may have been initially rejected by the judge, but you and I, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when we become sons and daughters of the king, we are accepted and forever have a seat of honor at God's table. And then lastly, this is the third thing we'll pull from this. The widow was a pest to the judge and spiritually a persistent one, right? She's a pest to the judge. But every time you go to God, you're a delight. You're a delight. Now, I think about persistent prayers that applies to my own life. I, I openly admit that I don't pray about specific things constantly enough. Um, do I persistently pray? Yes. Do I have an impressive streak on the Bible app? I currently do, but that doesn't mean anything because Jesus already died for me, right? right? But do I pray routinely enough about the same things like day after day and week after week, year after year? Am I, am I as persistent as the widow? I wish. I really wish. Um, I probably do what a lot of you do, which is sometimes I pray, right? I, I, I do the right thing. I'm going to pray to God first, but then I go about life and I try to find other solutions <laughs> to my problems. Um, but, but I'm going to do better. You know, th- this parable kind of rocked me a little bit. I'm going to do better on knocking on God's door each day for the same things. I, I need to be more persistent and give him a chance to answer my prayer in his timing than rushing off to the solutions of, of the world. You know, but as we are persistent in those things, we need to know that God isn't annoyed when we call on his name. You are delight to him. He's not annoyed by you. Like, think about it this way. Like, do I get annoyed when my three-year-old son says, Daddy, 200 times a day? Yes, it drives me nuts. Um, but I'm not like God. Like, take, write that down, right? But, you know, I'm glad he's not listening to this. Um, but, but I'm not like God in that regard. None of us, every time we call on God's name, he is delighted in it. He loves it. That's the truth of Scripture. Psalm 147. No, the Lord's delight is in those who fear him. And get this. The Lord's delight is in those who put their hope in his unfailing love. To put our hope in something means to go all in. We can't say we're putting our hope in God for certain things if we're trying to find other solutions. Putting our hope in God means just going all in for him. And God delights that. He, he takes joy from our, our, our routinely going to him. He, he loves when every moment of every day we're just putting our hope in him. The psalmist goes on and says, he led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because he delights in me. No matter what people think of you, no matter the way the church has hurt you, no matter the way Christians have, you've lost your hope in them, no, whether you're even watching at home because you just can't stand to be in a place where you, you've experienced pain with God's people, no matter what you feel creation has done to you, the creator delights in you. No matter what you think of yourself, when you look in the mirror, the things you journal, the, those dark thoughts you have that even the person next to you would never know, that's not who you are. You are who God says you are, and he delights in you. 
He wants to rescue you from whatever you're going through. You're his favorite. We're all his favorite. We're, we're, we're all the apple of his eye. Now, let me close with this story. I, I shared it a few years ago, but I feel pretty confident that most of you wouldn't even remember it. But then also, God will use it to open our eyes once again to the hope we have in, in communicating with a God who just loves us so much and the confidence we can have that even in the depths of our darkness, he still delights in us. He's still going to rescue us. It's a story about a small farming community that had been experiencing this, this terrible terrible drought and the crops were dying in the fields and everyone is distraught because this is the only way that they made their living and and so in the midst of the drought the local church pastor called a special prayer service for for all the people in the town he said won't you all come out come out to the church we're going to gather together and and spend some time just agreeing in faith and praying to god that he will send some rain so many people arrived, and, and you could sense the seriousness among the crowd. And, and as the pastor was getting ready to begin the meeting, he, he noticed a, a young girl standing in the front row right there on the, on the pew. And uh, she was sitting just quietly, and, and her face was beaming with excitement. And everyone else was just distraught. Uh, she was so excited to be there and just overjoyed as if she knew something everyone else didn't. She was acting the exact opposite of everyone else. And then the pastor looked down, and he, and he saw beside her, open and, and ready to use, this large, colorful umbrella. And as he stared at the umbrella, he admitted that he was a little ashamed because he didn't bring one himself. But from that little girl's faith that God was going to act, he had this sudden surge of hope and confidence. And this little girl's childlike innocence, it warmed his heart as he realized just how much faith in God she possessed. Though the town had come together to pray for rain, it seemed no one else had thought that maybe they should bring an umbrella because they didn't want to get wet. And I think that a lot of us know God should hear from us. We, we intellectually know, yeah, God should hear from us, and he should act on our, our behalf, but I think there's a lot more of us who just don't really believe that to be the case. We, we would tell other people it's true in their life, but we just don't know if God's really listening and if he's really acting on our behalf. And I want to close by saying, I don't know what you're going through. I have no idea where you need to break through. But what I do know in Scripture leads us to know this is 100% true, that, that you have a God who is head over heels nuts for you. He loves you. And when you come to him about what he already knows you're going through, he is ready and willing to answer. And so what we learn today from the parable of the persistent widow is this. Not only should we be persistent, but we should be expectant. We should probably bring an umbrella. Let's pray. God, I am... Time and time again, when settings like this, I, I, I go to you in, in prayer, as we go to you in prayer, it, I think we sometimes forget just the, the blessing and the miracle and how amazing it is that when we speak, you are listening. You're always on call. You're always on duty. You're always waiting to hear from us. God, even us just going to you in prayer, it, it sets the stage right for our relationship. We, as God's people, we are dependent upon you our, our loving God, to, to act uh, in our lives in, in numerous different ways. We, we're all fighting a battle uh, in some regard. Some of us, we do real well having it all together, so people think. Some of us, we measure ourselves by all the gold stars we get for memorizing scripture and, and looking the part and yada, 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 never missing a Sunday. But even the best of us, we are struggling in, in battles in all kinds of ways. May this parable that you so lovingly had your son Jesus share with us, let's not, can we thank, we're just going to thank you for that. 
that your son Jesus came in a way to teach us so we could understand. We didn't have to get on his level. He got on ours. He, he got down with the simple folks like us so that way we could understand the spiritual things happening all around us. So thank you just for that amazing grace you show through Jesus. But we know through the parable of the persistent widow that we are loved and if this crooked judge in the story would, would act on behalf of the widow, then we know that you're a good, loving God that's going to act on our behalf. And we thank you every day for the blessings you give us. But may we go to you as our lifeline, as our rescue, knowing you delight in us. For some of us, that's hard to understand. I just shared where it was so hard for me to understand who you are because of who my father had been. I know there's a lot of us here who are struggling to understand who you are in your right regard. But may we start to get to know you through scripture. May we see that you are head over heels nuts for us. You delight in us. May we change the ways that other people have impressed upon us who you are. May we see that you truly do delight in us, your children, and we have nothing to fear. So may we prayerfully jump in your lap, go to you with our needs, and know you're going to sustain us and protect us because you love us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.